So the Big 12 should once again be feeling good about itself after another successful bowl season. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to be here with you as it is each and every week. So not sure if you saw, but after K-State beat LSU in the Texas Bowl on Tuesday night, the Big 12 went 5-2 and two in its bowl games. That is the best record of any Power 5 conference. The Mountain West went 5-1. and one, The American went 3-1. Sunbelt went 3-1. and one. But in terms of winning percentage, the Big 12 going 5-2 and two is the best record of any Power 5 conference. Yep. And if you go back over the last two seasons, the Big 12 has the best bowl record since 2020. Yes. Yes, they do. Who's talking about that? You're hearing a lot of people going on about that, raving about the Big 12. No, uh, no. you Oh, geez, that's, hmm. Hmm. I wonder what that's all about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't hear much of that either. Oh, gosh, what a shame. What an absolute shame. You mean the national media is not waxing poetic about the Big 12 conference like it would have been? Had it been, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe another conference that starts with an S and ends in a C? No? Yeah, me neither. What a joke. What an absolute joke. But the Big 12 should feel very good about itself right now, coming out of bowl season. First off, you have multiple wins over SEC teams. Texas Tech crushed Mississippi State, right? You had uh, Baylor beating Ole Miss. You had K-State beating LSU. Very, very good job. And if you think about it, it's a big turnaround, too, because in 2019, the Big 12 went 1-5 in, in bowl games. Then last year, the T, the league went a perfect 5-0, and and this year they went 5-2. and two. So that's 10-2 and two in their last 12 bowl games for the Big 12. And by the way, Baylor and Oklahoma State, both in New Year's Six games, won each of those games. Like, the biggest games are the games that the Big 12 won. The ones that they lost, Guaranteed Rate Bowl and the Cheez-It Bowl, West Virginia and Iowa State, I mean, they were uh, they were not the most important bowls of all the bowls that were played. The top three were clearly Fiesta, Sugar, Alamo. So all in all, Big 12 fans should be proud. You should be bragging about this. You should be also bragging about the future Big 12. And how the future Big 12 did, which was uh, pretty darn good as well. I mean, Cincinnati lost to Alabama, all right? Uh, that's, I mean, that's the number one team in the country. But when you look at uh, what happened as well around the rest of the bowls, UCF took down Florida. Houston beat Auburn. Another couple of uh, future Big 12 teams beating SEC opponents. BYU came up short against uh, UAB, but, you know, it is what it is. Like, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing how little attention this is getting and how it should be getting so much attention. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's such a joke. It's so transparent. It's so biased what happens in this sport. The obsession with the SEC, and then they get their butts handed to them in the ballgames. But remember... 
The SEC has never lost a bowl game it hasn't cared about. All right? Never lost a bowl game it hasn't cared about. So I'm going to spend a few minutes here and just uh, rank for you the Big 12 bowl games in order from best to worst. Like just games that I enjoyed watching the most to the games I enjoyed watching the least. And obviously when Big 12 teams win, that's going to be at the top of the list. All right? So number one for me was the Fiesta Bowl with Oklahoma State beating Notre Dame 37-35, coming back from 21 points down. That was just absolutely awesome. And Mike Gundy after the game saying, we have a logo too. That was, oh gosh, everything about that was so fantastic. I loved every second of how that played out. First half wasn't great, but once the Pokes got going, boy, they got going. Beating Notre Dame the way they did it, with what Mike Gundy said after the game, a defining win for Oklahoma State, defining win for the Big 12 in so many ways. Next up for me was Oklahoma beating Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Just because the storyline, Bob Stoops, having him on that sideline, getting to watch his kid catch a touchdown there with that uh, Isaac Stoops touchdown grab from Caleb Williams. I mean, all of that was so fun to watch. And it really put a bow on what could have been a tumultuous month for Oklahoma football. And instead, Bob Stoops arguably single-handedly helped save it. And you could tell the team was fired up to play for him. They were excited to be there. They wanted that game for Bob Stoops, it seemed like, as much as themselves. And Bob Stoops, in many ways over the last month, really did prove and send home the point that Oklahoma football is bigger than just one guy. And we all got caught up in that. I mean, Oklahoma football, like, was pretty damn good before Lincoln Riley showed up, all right, for decades before Lincoln Riley showed up. But we get caught up in moment, we get caught up in the short term, and we forget that especially a program like OU is so much bigger and so much deeper than that. But, of course, the way Lincoln Riley left, Made it difficult, made it challenging, made it tough. And Bob Stoops reminded everybody, from the water boy to Joe Castiglione to every fan that's ever gone to an OU game or ever turned on an OU game, that this program is bigger than one person, including himself. But, uh, boy, I mean, Stoops really did solidify his spot on that Mount Rushmore of Oklahoma football over this past month. And it made that game a lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. Next up, Texas Tech beating Mississippi State in the in the Liberty Bowl. Just because of how much smack Mike Leach was talking leading up to that game. Some of the accusations he was throwing out there. And then for him to just get his butt kicked by a Texas Tech team that Really did seem rejuvenated. I was happy for Sonny Dykes. I was happy for that staff as Sonny Dykes, of course, is leaving for Louisiana Tech. But he coached this team. He he was there for his alma mater when it mattered. And he stayed through this bowl game. And it was clear that these guys appreciated that. And I think the Joey McGuire impact and effect was real, too. Joey McGuire was there to be the biggest cheerleader in Memphis. And it just worked from the fans, the team, to everybody involved. He's brought an energy that Texas Tech football really felt like it hasn't had in over a decade. 
even when Cliff Kingsbury was hired, Cliff was the cool sunglasses-wearing kid on the block, right? Joey McGuire is just the old school, yeah, woo, rah-rah football coach. And I'm not saying that wins you games, but it certainly gets guys juiced up right now out of the gates. And that was evident. And that 34-7 to smacking that Tech gave Mike Leach was, uh, was pretty fun to follow. Next up, I will go Sugar Bowl. Baylor beating Ole Miss 21-7. to And, I mean, it's a New Year's Six game. It wasn't the greatest game necessarily. It was a close game, but it wasn't like the, the most enjoyable or back and forth, whatever you want to say. But the defense shined. And that's and obviously Matt Carell getting injured uh, impacted that game and and stinks. You feel bad for anybody who gets injured in a bowl game, especially a guy who's going to be drafted in the NFL. But um, just the way that that game played out, the way that Baylor broke it out, of course, after you know it was seven seven and what felt like forever, was a chance for the Big Twelve to first off prove it plays defense, and Baylor proved that as well as anybody during bowl season. But also they got some. SEC speed, as they like to call it, on the other side of the ball. And that was uh, really fun to watch. After that, you've got K-State winning the Texas Bowl this week. Um, And Skylar Thompson, getting to see Skylar Thompson go out on that kind of a note. Three touchdowns, 260 yards. Deuce Vaughn with three scores. It's just a great way for Skylar Thompson's six-year career to end at K-State. And it's not just about what he did on the field. Like, I don't think Skylar Thompson's going to be on the, I hate to use this example again or this analogy again in this segment, but a Mount Rushmore of K-State quarterbacks, that top tier is, uh, you know, I mean, you can put on it who you want, but I would obviously put on it uh, Colin Klein, Michael Bishop, L. Robertson. Those are probably the guys at the top of that list. But you can make a case that a guy like Skylar Thompson ends up in that second tier. You can. That's how good a career he's had, and it was fun to see him put a bow on it. I just hate that Tuesday night in January game in that Texas Bowl. And then the last two, interchange them how you want. Well, probably Iowa State-Clemson in the Cheez-It Bowl was the sixth of seven games. Clemson won that game, and it was uh, not all that entertaining either, but the least entertaining game by far the Big 12 football season was the guaranteed rate ball with Minnesota beating West Virginia 18-6. to I mean, oh, gosh. Oh, I get chills just thinking about having to watch that game again. Whoo, boy, oh, boy. So there you go. Best to worst Big 12 football bowl games coming out of the season. Coming up, we'll talk some Big 12 hoops with our boy uh, Matthew Postens. But don't forget, leave a rating, review, subscribe to this podcast because when you do that, uh, first off, you can get a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail by leaving a rating and review on iTunes and then sending me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, that's M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. It helps this show grow. Leave a five-star rating. It's my way of saying thank you for taking out the 60 seconds to do this on iTunes. So thank you guys for doing that. I I really do appreciate it. And um, that's how you get a koozie. The only way to get the koozie, by the way, the Heartland College Sports koozie is by leaving that rating and review and sending me an email to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. Well, we just put a bow on the bowl season, and that means it's also conference hoops time. Yes, we've been following, or you've been following, Big 12 basketball with our guy Matthew Postens, who's been, as always, doing an outstanding job on the website at heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm, of course, Pete Mundo, uh, covering this league 
including a lot of uh, women's hoops talk. But we'll focus today on the men. What's going on there? Matthew, great to have you on as always. Uh, Happy New Year. And take me through, I mean, COVID's the obvious answer in terms of the storyline here that has been overwhelmingly uh, taken over the conversation. But for people not paying attention, how big has this impact been in the Big 12? And what do you expect to play out here going forward? Well, you know, TCU hasn't played a, a conference game yet. Uh, they play their first one, you know, fingers crossed, on uh, this weekend. Uh, you've already had a game with Texas Tech and Oklahoma State rescheduled due to issues at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, Kansas and Oklahoma State played their opener the other night. So uh, it's been kind of a delayed start into the Big 12 season because of COVID. And I, I think, you know, kids went home. You know, they got a little break at the holiday. Big 12 didn't really have any COVID issues going into the holiday, but I think all the kids, you know, they went home, they were around family, friends, whatever, came back, and that, 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 it seems like some of them brought that back with them, unfortunately. Um, I think the good news is that, you know, even the programs that have gotten shut down, you know, it, doesn't, it does not sound like any of these kids are getting any serious illnesses, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, the coaches have made it pretty clear that their players are, are vaccinated. They, they aren't confirming actual individual players. But, you know, Jamie Dixon confirmed that all of his kids are vaccinated, and some of them in some cases are boosted. So it's lessening the time that they need to recover from it. And we're just going to see, you know, things like this happen because we have the new policy in the Big 12 where you have to have at least six players to, and a coach to play. And we've seen that play out this week. Kansas State played with seven, uh, didn't even have Bruce Weber on the bench, and they gave Texas all they could handle for 35 minutes. And then Texas Tech went up to uh, Iowa State. They only had seven to play. Uh, A couple of their guys were out for injury, but the rest had uh, COVID protocols to go through. And they they took Iowa State right down to the wire, and Iowa State was full strength. So we're going to see this throughout the season. We're going to see teams that are unfortunately going to have to play it, you know, not – not the full roster they want to play at against fully rostered teams because we don't have the buffer week like we had last year. I don't think college basketball is going to put press the pause button on the season for a week or two. Uh, and you know, there's just, this is the reality we're dealing with right now in college basketball. You're just going to have, it's, I think people are kind of treating COVID more like an injury this year than they were last year. Yeah. It's a, uh, that's a good analogy. So now on the, on the court, as we're looking at this season, for people who haven't been really up to speed with with where the basketball season has gone, maybe they're just kind of getting rid of the uh, football uh, feel, and now they're you know wiping off the basketball cobwebs. The surprise in the Big Twelve, Iowa State, right? Is that fair when you look at what the biggest surprise is so far in the league? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, they won two games last year. Uh, they beat Texas Tech the other night. That was their first conference win since February 25th of 2020. Wow. Um, they Half their program turned over. Uh, they brought in a new coach in TJ Otzelberger. And my expectation for them was, hey, you know what? If they can get to 500 and maybe get into the NIT, that's a win for them. You're wonder under a new coach and all this turnover in personnel. And he has completely remade the program. They are a defense-first team, which in the Big 12, if you really think about it, that's a great fit because everybody else in this conference plays great defense. They're not a, a high-level offensive team, but they've got one really high-level offensive player in Isaiah Brockington, who right now is playing his way into all Big 12 first-team contention, perhaps even player of the year contention the way he's playing. 
He's been one of the leading scorers in the conference. Up until the other night, he was the leading rebounder in the conference, and he's a guard. So if they get another player that can be a consistent every game, 10, 12, 14-point scorer for them, that player could be Tristan Anaruna. Uh, they they have the capability of being in this for the long haul. I, I don't see them winning the conference, but they're going to have a definite say in who wins the conference. And right now they're playing like a team that's going to be a top four seed in the Big 12 tournament. So, Matthew, then if you look at the top of this league, I mean, Baylor's obviously the number one team in the country. Who who would you say is best suited, best capable of competing with Baylor for that top spot? I'd say it's probably Kansas at this point. Um, you know, they, they got a very encouraging sign from David McCormick against Oklahoma State. Uh, McCormick you know, seemed to finally shake the cobwebs out. He had 17 points and 15 rebounds against the Cowboys. He hasn't had a game like that all year. And last year he was really inconsistent in non-conference. And then once they got into conference play, he, he seemed to turn it on. And he was actually the Big 12's most improved player. To me, he's the difference between them being a really, really good team and making the NCAA tournament and, and getting to the second weekend and perhaps getting to the Final Four because there are so few teams – that I look at in the field that have a really solid above average post player like him in their lineup. Uh, he does so many different things for them that the other players on the floor can't do. He can help make things easier for Ochai Baji, Christian Brown, Remy Martin, their four guard alignment. Uh, and there aren't many teams that have a competitive post that can compete with a guy like David McCormick. Baylor has that in the tandem of uh, Jonathan Chamachachua and Flo Thamba. So to me right now, those two teams are the front runners, along with Texas. I don't think they're where they need to be yet, but by mid-February, they could be. They've got an abundance of talent. They've just got to learn how to play together better. Matthew, you know, we always uh, talked a lot the last few seasons about the depth that the Big 12 is bringing to the table in basketball. I still feel like it's there. I mean, you've watched far more of it than I have, but it doesn't feel like it's there as much as it's been in previous years. It does feel like there's a a bit of a drop off after the you know top five ranked teams of Baylor, Kansas, Texas, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. Still not sure maybe what West Virginia is or what uh, Oklahoma is, and and then you know it goes down from there. What what do you think about the depth this year in this league, especially compared to recent years? I I think maybe there is a a bit of a step back just in terms of like you said when you get past the first five teams but I don't think it's that big a step back you think about Oklahoma they're in the same boat Iowa State was they had to completely remake their program under Potter Moser because they had a lot of transfers and a lot of guys go away from the program after Long Kruger retired they've done a very good job of getting that together they're a, another team that's preaching defense Tanner Groves is having a great season inside uh, they've got good guard play on the outside. If you're not watching Elijah Harkless, uh, their new everything guard there at Oklahoma, you need to check him out. He's one of the better players in the league. As for West Virginia, their biggest problem right now is interior offense. Tash Sherman, Sean McNeil, uh, Jalen Bridges, they give them everything they need on the outside with, you know, in terms of scoring the basketball and playing defense. They've got a good defensive interior with Gabe Osteboyan and the other players that they have inside but they don't really have an interior scorer this year. And, and Bob Huggins knew that going into the season, and they still haven't found a combination that works for them scoring the ball inside. Uh, it's not going to be Gabe Osteboyan because he's not a, not a high-level offensive player. I was hoping that player would be Isaiah Cottrell. He's not quite there yet. If they're going to be a – I still think they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but if they're going to be a team that wins a first-round game or a second-round game, they've got to solve their scoring problem inside. 
I still think at the end of the day, seven teams from the Big 12 go to the NCAA tournament. I'm interested to see what TCU looks like once they finally get on the floor because I think they're a team that could really potentially crash the party because they've come together in a way that I wasn't expecting them to come together uh, when the season began. Matthew, got about a minute here. Haven't even touched on I can't I can't not talk about Bob Huggins in an opening conversation about the Big 12, West Virginia. Is this a classic Bob Huggins team, hard-nosed rebounding defense, or is it still a team that's finding its identity? Uh, I, I think the hard-nosed rebounding and the defense is there. Um, I think for them it's all about finding some interior scoring. I mean, Derek Culver kind of took care of that for them last year. He averaged nearly a double-double for the Mountaineers uh, inside, and they paired him with Gabe Osaboyan, who was not a high-level offensive player but a very good defender. And toward the end of the season, they used Osaboyan more than Culver because they were getting enough from what they needed on the outside with Miles McBride and Sherman and McNeil, and they needed more defense inside. So the defense on the outside and the inside is taken care of. There's still that, that hard-nosed team. they got to find somebody that can give them you know, 10, 12 points a game inside the pivot and take a little bit of pressure off of their outside game because when they played Texas, they were undermanned. They didn't have Taz Sherman. They didn't have Gabe Osaboyan. And they basically just concentrated all of their effort on Sean McNeil, Texas did, and they really kind of shut him down. Jalen Bridges had a good game, but he didn't really get going scoring-wise in the second half. So they've got to have some interior play that can help them out on the offensive end. He's Matthew Postens. Matthew, great to have you on. We'll talk more hoops throughout the season, my friend. All right, thanks, man. Great stuff there with Matthew. Really appreciate him hopping on the show. And uh, joining us, he's going to join us each and every week now throughout basketball season as we break down Big 12 hoops. And nobody knows it better than him top to bottom. I guarantee you that. So you're going to want to get your Big 12 basketball buddies on this podcast. Hit that subscribe button. And leave that rating and review. That's how you get a free Heartland College Sports Koozie. Leave a rating and review. Send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We appreciate you guys and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.